Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, Daph, what's going on? What's going on? Last week of April, how you feeling? Uh, you know, feeling pretty good. I actually, for the past couple of weeks, I've been enjoying the April weather because I'm in the South. So we we actually have already started to have spring a little bit. Okay, okay. And then, Ty, the unthinkable happened. Oh, what's that? My air conditioner in my car went out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right at the perfect time, huh? <laughs> you just don't understand. So normally my air conditioner, it will get so cold that like I will have to turn it off sometimes just like warm up. So I'm not accustomed to this. And, you know, I've been so hot. Mm, um, yeah. yeah. And so like for the past year, like John has actually been trying to convince me to get a new car. He like, I will buy you a new car. And I'm like, <laughs> nah, my car is good. My car is Gucci. I'm going to ride this thing till the wheels fall off. And I swear, as soon as that air went out, I was like, you know what, babe? It might be time. This is so, not, so not the same car. car from Purdue, right? Yeah, the, the green Honda. Oh, <laughs> Yes. The same one? The exact oh, man. same You've been holding one. on to that. Okay, yeah, I agree with John. Time, time to get a new whip. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I mean, so for uh, me, I was like, babe, let's wait. Like, let me earn it. Like, that'll be a great graduation gift. And he's like, <laughs> but no, that car is so old. <laughs> and I did, I did go get it checked out because I'm like, okay, I might get the air fixed. And child, the cost to get it fixed is worth like half the total value of the car. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That's when you know it's time to chalk it up and just get a new one. When you start got to put a lot of money in to keep it up, you yeah. might as well. You know, I mean, you can still get an affordable new one unless you was trying to get like a something real fancy. Oh, yeah. Because, Ty, so I've, I'm frugal. I have always bought used cars. Like the one, this one, I pay cash. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like that mm-hmm, has, mm-hmm. I hate car notes. Yeah. But I was like, when I get a new car, it's going to be something I really want. Like, I don't want to be forced into getting uh, a new car I don't want just because I need a car, I if see. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I see. Okay, so that puts you in a little little conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have decided to get it fixed, though, just because I like the idea of, like, having an extra car that I can keep in the South. So when I finish with data collection, um, I'll probably, you know, drive it to my hometown and, like, leave it there so that whenever I visit home, I can, like, have a car. Because, if I think about the price of a rental car or the price of Uber, I visit home so often that I would I could easily spend the thousand dollars it's gonna take to get the air conditioner fixed. So okay. and there's nothing else wrong with the car. I did get like the full inspection. Besides the air, there's nothing else wrong. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, that's all then yeah, I would say keep it keep it till the wheels fall off, as they say. <laughs> but it's a both and situation because now I have decided after I finished, because I drove it down south so I, I could have it for data collection. But I've like 
told John, I'm like, yo, I'm not driving this car back to Illinois. I, mm. I will get a n- new car. Or I told him, you get a new car and I'll use yours until I figure out what type of car I want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do y'all sit up there with three cars eventually? Yeah. He <laughs> deserves it, though. He deserves it. He fin- oh, so he, didn't, he hasn't got a new one in, in a while either? No. So uh, okay. remember, I surprised him by getting his because his car is in the good shape. Job. But yeah, mm-hmm. the paint job. Um, but, you know, he deserves a new car. You know, okay. he finished residency a year ago. So let's convince him to get a new car. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because he graduated. He finished. So yeah. Yeah, he finished residency. So, yeah, get you a new car and then you get you one. When you finish and y'all both sitting up there. See? And- <laughs> That's funny. Good logic. What's been going on with you? And nothing. Actually, uh, we're talking about cars. Yesterday, I drove home, man. Something fell off some one of these big old uh, 18-wheelers, man. Cracked my windshield. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Did you get the, like, the plate, the license plate of the... No, I didn't even do all that. I didn't even do all that. I should have did that. See, you that ain't trying like, to get paid, Ty. Nah, I didn't. I should have did that. Like a little crack or something. Like it hit it hard. I look and it's like these two little cracks on the, on the, on the passenger side. I was like, oh, I guess I got to get that taken care of because, you know, the cracks start spreading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Looking all crazy. But yeah, but ain't nothing much been going on, you know, trying to windle down a couple weeks left in this semester. I'll be going to Atlanta this upcoming weekend. Okay, okay. To go see my niece. Hopefully, she you know comes out this week. She's supposed to. So, so my brother having his first child. So go out there and check check him out. Oh, so it's gonna be exciting. Yeah, um, that that'll be really awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next generation coming up. Next generation of Connors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm also traveling. This oh, weekend. Yeah? Yes. Uh-huh. So I'm going to a wedding in New Orleans and John has like the next two weeks off. So I was like, hey, we're going to a city that has a port. How about we go on a cruise? Let's go. Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go to the wedding and then we're going to go on a seven day cruise. Nice. He nice. said ever, seven days, though. I would have done like four. He, have this, you ever been on a cruise before? Yeah, I've been on a few. Okay. So he doesn't know. So I'm like, oh, you want seven day? I'm going to let you do you. He never been on before? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been on one before. It was one of them weekend ones, like three nights or something. Yeah. yeah I was like, yeah, that's enough for me. Yeah. I don't know if I could do a whole week. He going to be tired. But I, I was just like, look, he ain't had a vacation. I'm going to let you do you. Boo-boo. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure y'all stop at some islands and stuff, too. So that'll be yeah, good. Yeah. It's actually cool. We'll go to Jamaica, Grand Cayman Islands and Cozumel, Mexico. So. Oh, nice. Nice. That's a nice little trip. Yeah. Okay. Um. No, that's all fun. I think, uh, yeah. So, so, so for our listeners, you know, this is the last episode of the month. So, you know, no old lose, no or low, or oh Lord, news going on this week. Uh, but we will be, you know, talking on a bunch of current events that's happened in this past month. Things that we really get a chance to talk about because you know most of our episodes are interviews, and sometimes you know me and Dad just want to chalk it up and get some of our viewpoints out. A lot of hot topics that we we want to talk about this month. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and first we're going to go ahead. No, I was about to say, even if it's not officially Oh Lord News, some of it might make you say, oh, Lord. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but we'll start off with the more serious stuff first and then get to the, the lighter hearted things or what I really want to talk about. But we but these some these things we got to talk about because they've been hot topics mm-hmm. over this past week or so. And I guess the first thing we can talk about is this Mueller report that uh, came out 
that everybody's been ramping and raving about that's not redacted. Am I correct? Is what's happening now? So it is redacted. I think they took about 10% of uh, the information out. Some of it is just kind of like they said, like kind of periphery third parties who, you know, if they were like mentioned or like if people saw them in the report, it could be damaging, like issues related to national security, et cetera. Uh, like those are the types of things that were taken out. But it was like 448 pages, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what they heard. And I actually know a lot of people, some of my colleagues who've uh, downloaded the whole report and are actually going to plan on reading the entire thing. Yeah, I saved it to my Dropbox because I'm like, what if they try to snatch this thing off the internet? Yeah, yeah, that might be, that might happen. I'm going to get around to it one of these days. The summer's coming up, so I'll definitely peruse it. But I've definitely been looking at a lot of the the summaries and the main takeaways that that's in it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on it? Now, I would say that I'm glad they kind of did this because when it first came out that, you know, saying that they couldn't indict Trump, Mm-hmm. He came out immediately was like, I'm free. I'm good. I'm innocent. I told you all, you know, no collusion, um, no you know, kind of like this Jesse Smollett situation. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm innocent. I'm free. Everybody's like, hold on here. Not so fast. We're definitely not going to just take your word for it. And so they pushed to get the entire report um, out to the public so that we can see for ourselves. And you know what? Not unsurprisingly, what they've been finding is the, the contrary to what Trump has been out there saying. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, what are some of the takeaways you've been uh, finding from this mother report so uh it's funny because it seems like a summary of the report is uh somebody said that you know people i guess in the trump camp were just so just stupid that they didn't realize that a lot of the things they were doing were illegal Mm -hmm. although i don't feel like that should be an excuse like in what world is ignorance like an excuse that can like prevent you from being like prosecuted by the law like ignorance of the law doesn't mean that you should not be prosecuted but that's especially in the the highest office in the land come on now but they did do things that were illegal or borderline um but it wasn't collusion because they weren't knowingly colluding but like you you get what I'm saying it's like weird like they were officially like working with like Russians and even like Mitt Romney was just like you know it's you know kind of crazy the fact that like you were actually like working with Russians but it wasn't like a collusion to like rig the election yeah based on my understanding yeah yeah that's it yeah it was kind of like this weird outside connection not really directly connected with that kind of the the direct collusion Mm -hmm. but even like in the report they're saying like you know as far as like looking for criminal charges or whatever it's like it's so messy that they feel like they couldn't find anything super conclusive but they also couldn't find anything to say that he's not that he's completely innocent as well Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of like gray area uh, as far as what was happening which is still raised a lot of red flags too I think especially with the obstruction things I think Mueller did not want to draw a conclusion, but there is a lot of things that would lend itself to say that, like, Trump was trying to obstruct. Um, so I think that the obstruction part was a little bit stronger than, like, the, like, knowingly colluding with Russia part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, you know, and actually part of what I've seen in, like, from New York Times and stuff, they said, that, you know, Trump did actually try to sabotage the investigation, but his staff defied him. 
right? Like he was nice. like, they said things like he, he was actually, this is a quote. So he said they have, he's like, I'm effed. And he told him it's the worst thing that can ever happen to me. Um, and then he actually tried to get, apparently they like tried or like hinted towards his staff to do something. But they were like, nah, we're not about to actually do that, uh, you know. Um, so they like kind of went against what his demands or what he was trying to get them to do because they felt they were too uncomfortable. Yeah, because um, sometimes the cover up will get you in trouble more than what you actually did. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and that's the funny thing. Even like, oh, what I've also been finding, too, is that, uh, you know, um, uh, press secretaries, both of them been lying. You know, uh, not that, surprised. That came out. <laughs> it came out in a report that they blatantly just lied to the press on multiple occasions. Um, you know, and that's sad, right? Because there's supposed to be integrity with that position or at least be fancy enough with your words to kind of like, you know, not directly just lie. But, you know, mm-hmm. they've been lying to us. So that also makes it, you know, the credibility of them, which we already knew. Yeah. And now you have evidence to support like, yeah, we can't really believe everything y'all say no more. And uh, Sarah Sanders can stop playing the victim like you're you're calling me a liar yeah okay mm-hmm. so i would say what stood out to me most and i think has important implications for how we govern ourselves for the next you know i guess 16 or however many months before the next election is that russia was very effective in what they quote said provoking and amplifying political and social discord Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They did this thing kind of like with surgical precision. They created social media accounts. They created hashtags. They even paid activists who didn't realize they were being paid by Russians mm-hmm. to, for instance, so um, one of the reasons that Trump won or got so much support, like Hillary got the lowest number of like white voters and like. I think history, like over like the recent history. Mm. And part of that is because, you know, Russians were able to like stoke fear in the hearts of like white people about a a black uprising or them losing their like social status or social stature in the US. And uh, so Russians, they like started this thing called Black Fist. uh, Mm -hmm. And What they were doing was paying black self-defense and martial arts teachers in various cities to hold self-defense classes. And payment was contingent upon the instructors taking pictures of black people learning how to defend themselves so that they could be posted online. Yes. And these instructors did not realize they were being paid by Russians and they were paid like $320 for each class. And they were holding like four monthly classes. So like, that's a good little part-time gig. You get what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They created uh, pro-black Twitter accounts that had like upwards of like hundreds of thousands of shares and retweets and stuff like that and even created the don't vote hashtag which was shared by people like Tariq Nasheed and other like you know people who are seeing some hoteps but like some who are seen as like legitimate black activists Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just kind of like yo that's scary this is wild man um because you ever watch the show the Americans no it's a show about like um, a Russian family who are spies right mm-hmm. during kind of like the Cold War era. And so they come in and they, you know, actually build a family. So their kids are like American, don't even know that their parents are like Russian spies and, mm-hmm. you know, doing all this stuff, the Cold War era kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just interesting because it's like 
this is like essentially kind of stuff that's happening in today's time, right? Like mm-hmm. this whole infiltration of, of the Russian government into our politics, uh, getting spies, doing those kind of things, uh, using the, it's probably easier in today's time because with social media and all that stuff, uh, people really not fact checking things. Mm-hmm. Um, of the where the sources are coming from, uh, but it's kind of wild that they actually were successful as far as like swaying and swaying like the, our politics and and I don't know sometimes you know the response like what what should our response be you know mm-hmm. um, I, I know people some people are like you know this is uh, feel like we should go to war for something like this or really get on war, uh, sanctions on Russia and stuff like that I don't think we should go to war for it but I do think we should be you know our dealings with Russia should be uh, fewer, fewer dealings with them or whatever, or some kind of sanctions. I don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, just with our own politics, we got to be much more careful. Yeah, um, that but that's a scary part. I don't feel like Trump is like willing to do that. And the fact that like he has just been on Putin's jock for like so long. Yeah. Kind of like you make them feel like this is okay. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like I said, I'm I feel like I can online. I'm starting to see like this divide and conquer thing being played out again. Um, there seems to be, in my opinion, and I saw that I saw this with the 2016 election as well, because, yeah, I spent too much time online, probably. <laughs> but, you know, there seems to be a concerted effort to uh, keep left-leaning people from getting too excited about any particular candidate. Um, So I've noticed that uh, anytime like somebody starts to get a little momentum, it's like, boom, something like comes out to where like people are like, "Mm, I don't know, this is inappropriate. It's just side-eye worthy. Uh, For instance, like Kamala Harris, like people started getting excited about her. And rightfully, you know, people started bringing up her California record. But a lot of people was like, "Mm, this this reaction to her seems too swift and too um, organized. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bernie Sanders, like I've started to see movements like, oh, he's not trustworthy. Maybe he's like Trump because of like his tax issue. Like he did release <laughs> yeah. 10 years. But, you know, compared to like some of the other candidates, the the tax documents were a little skimpy, you know, compared to my own tax returns. Like I think yeah. one of them had like four or five pages and people were like, uh, I don't trust that. Yeah. Uh, I think for um, who else did I have? Of course, Biden, like he was like polling at the top and, you know. I I think it is okay. I'm not saying like, oh, my God, people shouldn't have talked about this. But I've seen videos of like Biden being creepy for like years. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then it was like this swift, like Biden is a, you know, I don't I won't say perv, but like that's what I mean. That's what people are you know, kind of try to say. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, and now I see like these factions like forming once again, it's the Bernie versus the, you know, Kamala Harris versus the Biden. And that's going to prevent anybody from getting too excited. So I just want people to think about the information that's coming at you and why it might be coming at you and who mm-hmm. it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point, right? I didn't even think about it that way. I think, yeah, everybody that's been front running at least 
has been having like a good amount of blowback. Um, and I feel like this is more apparent than I've noticed than in like past elections. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it really would take until like the people, you know, you get to like the finalists three or four, and then you start seeing a lot of all this extra stuff. But like, this is early in the game and, <laughs> and everybody's getting vetted so early and, you know, getting critiqued so early when they probably don't even have their platforms all the way in order. Uh, so yeah, that's a good point. Like even be careful of that information. And yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we need to unify ourselves um, because we cannot, I could not have Trump mm-hmm. another four years. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to get so, be convicted to so one, one, one person and then be like, oh, this person. And I'm definitely not that, you know, I, yeah. I really don't even have a favorite at this point right now because yeah. uh, there's so many. So I still have yet to see, you know, what happens as time moves on. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely not committed to anybody, but I'm, more likely than not going to, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going, whoever is running against Trump is just going to have to get my vote, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like what the, what makes this such a big deal for like left-leaning people is we will cut off and cancel folk if they do something inappropriate or mm-hmm. like side-eye worthy. And that's not what happens with the Republicans. They vote on agendas, not people. You know what I'm saying? Like they're yeah. like, are you going to pass the laws or appoint the judges or do whatever I want you to do? Well, okay. I don't care if you grab women by the, you know what, you get what I'm saying? And I don't think people on the left are like that. And I do feel like we need to build up some more candidates as we move toward the future, but I don't think we're going to get a perfect candidate. And so it's kind of like, you know, we got to be looking at agendas. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we start a petition to get Obama to run again? I know, right? <laughs> Overturn that law. Overturn that law. Come on back, man, just for four years. Just give us four years to recoup and then, you know, get somebody else, man, because this is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to keep my eye on it. But yeah, that's a good point you made. Let's be careful of what we're digesting especially on, on the, the liberal side of things. And, you know, actually the, one of the biggest complaints is what I've been hearing from people is that we just got too, there's too many people declaring. Yeah. Um, how many is it now? I don't know. Close to 20, over 20. I don't even know at this point. Um, but yo, I feel like some people are declaring because I just found out how lucrative it is to run for president. Shit, I'm thinking about throwing my hat in the ring. <laughs> Bernie Sanders made like buku money off of the book deal off after he ran for president and other people have too mm. you know what I'm saying I feel like it's a lot of people that know they're not gonna win but mm-hmm. if they can get their book deal afterwards they gonna at least come up on a couple hundred thousand get some money yeah yeah that's true and you get money to fundraise and people donate to you cause you gotta hit that certain mark in order to get to the debates how much is it I don't know, three hundred dollars. I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly. And I think it's so many individual donors too to be able to get on the debate stage. But we can we can look that up, y'all. We all know mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. So yeah, so uh, keep eyes on it. Yeah, but speaking of agendas, mm. okay, and politics, Trump ran on a campaign that he would appoint pro-life justices to the Supreme Court and overturn Roe v. Wade. He said that in the third presidential debate before he was elected. And a few weeks ago, we reported on how states like Kentucky, uh, I think Georgia, Alabama, like a bunch of, you know, southern 
red states have recently passed laws that essentially like outlawed uh, abortion or made it so restrictive that a woman couldn't seek a re- abortion because she wouldn't even know that she was pregnant by the time like abortions were no longer legal for her to be able to obtain. Um, and as we mentioned then, they are actually implementing these laws so that it can be challenged and make it back up to the Supreme Court in the same way that the original Roe v. Wade case was actually brought up to the Supreme Court. Lawyers mm-hmm. look for challenges so that they can like set precedent. And that's what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. A lot of my students have been alarmed right now in classes. They, some of them have been bringing this up during class discussion like, yo, what is Texas doing? You know, how how can, uh, you know, you get a uh, get the death penalty for having an abortion? That's wild. You know, mm-hmm. they're like freaking out about it. And, um, you know, I had to let them know, like they're doing this with the intent. They know it's not going to pass, Mm -hmm. um, but they want to get it to the Supreme Court is the ultimate goal here. You know, keep appealing, appealing all to the Supreme Court to at least build the cases, like you said, like with Roe v. Wade and um, to try to get it overturned is what, you know, they're trying to do now because like you said, Trump said he wanted to have um, pro-lifers on the, on the board. And Mm -hmm. um, so now with things swaying in that direction, because, you know, over the past eight or so years, nobody has touched it. Mm-hmm. They knew it was going to just be dead as soon as it got, but now they have a chance. And so this is why you see a lot of these kind of heartbeat bill legislations uh, being popping up. And yeah, you're right. in all these conservative states. Um, so yeah, it's, it's extreme in a lot of ways. Uh, so don't be too alarmed folks. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. People aren't going to get the death penalty for having abortions. But the scary thing is that, you know, if it gets overturned, this might be some of the policies they want to keep in place, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, which would be just just inhumane and just so terrible if, if it even happens. But Yeah, because, yeah, uh, for the people who don't, you know, like, oh, my God, abortion is going to be bad. You know, it'll just return to states. Right. And it'll be one of those situations to where each state will have their own individual policy, kind of like marijuana. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll have their own individual policies. They can do what they want to do. And if you live in that state and you you need one for whatever reason, because there are lots of reasons that women may need them, then, you know, it might not be legal for you to do that in a state. But I actually feel like life in general is just moving toward, you know, maybe I want to stay away from certain states. And it's not just about like abortion, but, you know, it all it is also about marijuana. Shout out to 420, which, you know, <laughs> Oh, yeah, 420. <laughs> uh, uh, marijuana, health care, like insert like in Massachusetts, insurers are required to help with like fertility treatment and in, in vitro fertilization. So it's just kind of like when things are left up to states rights, there are a lot of ways that inequality can thrive. And it's just kind of like what type of world or state do I want to raise future children in? Because there are some states that aren't going to look out for its citizens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a big one. This is why I will not ever live in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> places like that, man. There's just some states I'm just like, I don't care really what kind of opportunity. It's just like, I, couldn't, I can't do it, man. And, and like you said, even thinking about your children being raised in certain places. And there are just some places where it's just a lot 
more dangerous mm-hmm. uh, for young black kids um, than than other places. And uh, so, yeah, that's definitely. And it's funny because I think this is probably, you know, I think the average, if you are like a, a maybe a heterosexual white person, you probably can feel like you can live anywhere for the most part. Anywhere. Right. It's not much where you're really considering like, yo, I got to worry about this or that or, you know, can I get married? Can I not get married? Will I be in danger? You know, it's mm-hmm. when you think about it in that way to that kind of privilege, it's like, yeah, folks like us, we can't, we don't have that kind of luxury. We got to consider that stuff. There was actually like this article about like kind of trying to promote people moving back to middle America because, you know, the the mid United States is, is losing people. But there was like an article pushing it back against that. and was like, you think I can do that as like a gay brown person and feel this sense of community that community that you cis hetero white male or white woman experience like mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like everybody not welcome everywhere mm-hmm. that's true um, I saw this report not too long ago looking at some of the states where people are leaving the most in like New Jersey is like number two oh, wow. <laughs> uh, especially like millennials everybody's heading out um, uh, and, and yeah because Chris and I just started kind of looking at you know trying to figure out we want to get a home out here and yeah, these property taxes out here are wild. <laughs> like, I think, like, the highest in the country, the second highest in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can see why a lot of people are like, yeah, we ain't going to settle out, settle around out here. Um, but then it's like, yeah, where will we move to, right? Not that many places. I definitely will be rushing to middle America, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Can I just tell you a random abortion fact? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the plaintiff in like the Roe v. Wade, Jane Roe, who, you know, eventually did uh, come out and reveal, you know, her name. I think her last name was like McCorvey or something. I can't remember her first name. Mm -hmm. But after years of being like the face and the figurehead for the pro-choice movement, she actually became the face of the pro-life movement toward the later end of her life. Wow. Yes. Uh, And she even was quoted as saying, like, don't vote for Obama. He kills babies. What? Yes. What is the reason why she changed? Did anybody know? Did they say? Uh, So I think she was like living near like this anti-abortion operation and she was getting into it a lot with like some of the ministers and like workers. And, you know, she was like, you know, it was like banter back and forth. But I think over time, you know, like that adversarial thing became like, yeah. you know, they started to get to know each other. And eventually, you know, she let the that minister like baptize her. Uh, and the day after that baptism and, you know, she, you know, kind of came out to say that, you know, technically, I feel like I've always been uh, pro-life. Uh, Bill Clinton, who was president at the time, even like made a comment about it. Um, so it was actually a big thing. It's probably something that people don't think about or know about now. But I thought that was so interesting. Like she she has a book of like her life being, you know, pro-choice and a book, of, you know, on her life is like pro-life. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's good to know because, you know, who knows if this gets up to the death penalty, I mean, not death penalty, to the Supreme Court, um, who they, they may bring that back up again. Yeah. You know, like, oh, look at the original person actually switched over. 
And, and you know, I'm sure that that'll help their argument, at least in the public, not so much how much in the court of law, but public yeah. opinion yeah. that people have raised some questions. Well, maybe I shouldn't have put that back out there. <laughs> no, it's good for us to know, <laughs> at least. So we won't be caught, at least BHD listeners won't be caught off guard or be surprised when they hear it. It's like, yo, for real? <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. But yeah, we'll keep our eye on this abortion bill stuff. And, you know, like I said, it's just ridiculous to me that we are still fighting to control the the you know, the choices of women's bodies. It's like super insane to me. Um, but keep yeah. on it, folks. We'll, as sure as things unveil in the future, we'll, we'll continuously update you. Okay. And her name was Norma McCorvey, if you like to read up about her. And we can McCorvey. put some links. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, talking about politics, talking about who's going to be the next president uh, <laughs> is similar <laughs> to, I guess, our real life Game of Thrones, if uh, you will. Chad, I already <laughs> knew where you were going with that. <laughs> who's going who's gonna to take the Iron Throne in the White House? Uh, uh, but as as you all know, you know, Daphne and I are a fan of Game of Thrones and the first episode came out. The new the final season just started. Uh, so, of course, we got to talk about the first episode, at least, uh, you know, get it off our chest, get our thoughts and, and what we took took away from it. So what you think, Daph, episode one? Uh, so I tweet and watch at the same time. Or retweets. I don't necessarily tweet myself. But, you know, I felt like there, I saw some comments where people were like, you know, this was slow. Like, you know, this is like the lamest, like, episode of, you know, Game of Thrones because it didn't have a lot of action. But I thought it was like a necessary foundation for what's to come. Like, I feel like they put a lot of pieces in place in a very short amount of time, like from Jamie Lannister making it there to John finding out who he really is. Like a lot of pieces were put in place to like get us to the action. Yeah, no, I agree. I appreciated that. Um, Cause I was unsure of like, dang, how long going to take for John to know what's going to happen. Uh, but they, they gave, they closed everything up in that first episode. So now it's like, now we don't have to wait anymore to see like what happens with those smaller stories. And now mm-hmm. we get to the the bigger story of like, okay, who's going to take the throne? What are we going to do with the white walkers, et cetera. Um, which is, I'm, I'm happy they did that, you know, uh, Me too. cause I wasn't trying to wait, you know, all season and have it drag out. Let's just get right to it. And now let's get to the, the main storyline. And I think for the writers as well, um, because if you think about it, the show has had like, eight different story arcs like every season mm-hmm. and so now everybody is in like one of two places yes right? you know, with the Lannisters or or in the north with, with John and them so it's easier for them to you know keep everything consistent and definitely easier for people like me to follow yeah because <laughs> when I first started watching it I'm like it's like 10 million different things going on and like yeah, when John first started watching it, I would look at the screen. I'm like, what the hell? And I would just walk out of the room because I I'm like, I don't got time to like keep up with everything that's going on right here. Um, but yeah, it is nice to like have everything, you know, happening in one or two places. Yeah, this is some funny article that uh, we, we can post Um Called the it's from the root. It's called the Black Person's Guide to Game oh, of Thrones. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> that was that was so funny to me. I think it's actually an old post, but it's you know been coming back up. Yeah. Um, 
and just just how they talk about like the White Walkers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, is they really White Walker? Like, yeah, man. yeah. It's like, is that the real name for them? And it's like, yeah, nah, bro. It's like this is the quote. They're really called White Walkers. They're blue eyed white devils who kill and destroy everything in their path. <laughs> I was rolling when I was reading this thing. Uh, But yeah, we'll post that up because it's funny. Because I know there's a lot of few people, even like my dad being one of them, who never watched Game of Thrones. But because of the hype, it's like now trying to watch the last season. I'm like, nah, dad, you can't. You just can't do that. You're so lost. You got to go back and watch it. (laughs) But most people are lucky that they don't have to wait. Like, I, I, you know what I'm saying? You can just binge the whole, like, it's going to take you all summer, but you can binge it. Yeah, because it's like 60 something episodes. So I just have to say this. I love Danny. Daenerys is my girl. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how she's going to take this news about John. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I thought of the after watching this episode and then thinking about John, I'm like, you know, he is the one. I think he may be the one that gets to the Iron Throne. You know, now of course, with this show, super unpredictable. You never know. Well, him, it kind of makes the most sense um, because he, when you talk about unifying everybody, he's been the one that has actually unified everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I just feel like it just makes the most sense that like him sitting on the throne, everybody would like agree with. Um, and everybody. Yeah, so that's the question now is like, how will Daenerys take it uh, when she finds out that he's the rightful one, you know, to, mm-hmm. to the throne ahead of her? And honestly, I don't think she's going to take it well. I don't either. Uh, and I, I kind of had the same like thoughts that like John is the only person that could unify people. Like even like look at the North, like willing to like, you know, kind of like leave to say like, you know, I'm not down with Danny. Like we stood behind you. Yeah. North. Um, so I, I don't know. But I feel like. Danny, she is so high off of her own fumes mm-hmm. that she can't even fathom that there might be somebody else that is a better option to be ruler. Yeah. And so this is this is, you know, I think a preface to there's going to be some internal struggle that's going to distract them a little bit from the overall goal, because mm-hmm. there's going to be a point where like John is probably going to go one way. She's going to go another way and it's going to be dividing them. And um, yeah, I don't think she's going to want to want to be humble and be like, all right, let's do it. This approach. And that's the interesting thing, because she started from very humble beginnings. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's worked her way up, got all this power. But you can tell a little bit now it's like she's feeling a little untouchable. Mm-hmm. I feel like them drag is going to turn on her. I feel like they would even stand behind John. Like, I, I just get this feeling like. <laughs> with him riding that riding yeah. that dragon <laughs> that was... after that I read like on, like that should have been a clue to her because only Targaryens can ride dragons mm-hmm. only like that is those are the only people that should have been a clue to her but she probably thinking yeah. I'm so charming that my dragons will let my boyfriend yeah, ride that, exactly <laughs> and that's why I feel like when the dragon was like you know people was acting like the dragon was like when they was kissing and and then the dragon was like looking at John. I don't think the dragon was looking at John like that, like stay away from her. I think it was more so like, yo, you, I you see one you. of us. I yeah. see you. Mm-hmm. That's the way I took it too. Everybody was like, yeah, this how I'm going to be like, you know, pretending like the dragon is acting like a protective dad. I, I didn't see that at either. I, I saw it as like a, I see you. Mm-hmm. I see you. Yeah. So we shall see. Game of Thrones. One other thought is, 
people need to start trusting Sansa. Like she, you know, she has her moments to where she's, you know, something else. But her t- intuition is just so on point. Yeah. You know, she tried to warn John about Ramsey Snow uh, when she, you know, told uh, uh, Tyrion, like, dude, I thought you were smarter than that. Like, yeah. she knows, she knows she would be a very good and trusted advisor, like good hand mm-hmm. in a king because she just knows stuff. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, because I think somebody was saying like, you know, all the Stark children that are left, like everybody kind of has like their own powers in a way, you know, mm-hmm. their own strengths. And that's definitely hers, her intuition, um, because when she was like, yeah, how could y'all still trust her? I'm like, yeah, how could y'all still trust this woman, yo? <laughs> and I'm curious to know, because she asked about, and I know people have been asking, I want to know too, I'm interested, she asked about them elephants. Uh-huh. I'm like, what's what's that about, you know? Yeah. Some crazy kind of elephants coming through, we'll see. Did you see that meme where they had Cersei riding Dumbo? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that, man. These memes. That was actually one of the first times because I rarely am on Twitter. And I was like, no, I got to be on Twitter for for this. And I I was on it live as it was going, just rolling and how people move fast, so fast with these memes, man. Yeah, yeah. It is like insane, like instantly. It's wild. Um, So one thing we didn't get to talk about, you know, thinking about like film and, you know, entertainment is we never got to talk about us. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so yeah, we didn't talk about it and I've been waiting to talk about that one uh, because there's a lot to dissect. But uh, I guess my first impressions was it took me, I watched it and this is definitely a movie I'll have to go back and watch again because it wasn't as like Get Out. I think I got a lot of it in like the first go round. Mm-hmm. Um, but us, I'm like, I, I missed some of it. And, you know, I'm fo- of course following up, reading about. It. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It was a little bit more difficult to to get. Um, but one of the things I would say, what I did like about the movie, because you know, even when it first came out, I heard Jordan Peele kept saying like, yo, it's not about race, it's not about race, which it, which it really wasn't. And but but I think what he's trying to do, which I appreciate, is have. Black people, and he said he's going to have black people as the main characters in all his movies. Um, but it's like we were just so not used to seeing like black people in the front of like a horror movie in that way mm-hmm. that it, it was hard for people to dissect. Like, yo, it's a movie not about race. Like, yeah. yeah, there's probably a meaning about it, but it's separate from race. We just have we just literally have a black family in the front, <laughs> <laughs> and like, and people when had asked those questions, it was like a white family, and, and you know the main characters. Then we, it'd probably be quicker for people to actually understand what the film was about. But I like that he's doing that because it's also challenged the notions. Like, yo, it's okay to have black people in these spaces and these roles and these type of film. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of like you. Um, so I live right behind the movie theater uh, when I'm in Illinois. I move. I live right behind the movie theater, so we walk and. It was just kind of like this little long walk home. And I was just like, what the hell did I just watch? (laughs) (laughs) Those were my exact thoughts. And like, I was like, don't, I just, I just had to sit. I didn't, we didn't talk for the entire time we walked back home because it was just like processing, processing like what the hell just happened. And, you know, I immediately started like going online to like try to, get some help on like understanding the the meaning of this film and I read a few things but after I kind of sat on it for a little bit and reflected on like what I took from it I kind of saw this have you ever seen the movie Trading Places uh, with Eddie Murphy yep mm -hmm. and so I mean it's, it's you know these movies are not the same but I 
feel like us was kind of like this dark, demented version of that, or at least the meaning behind it. You know, you have people who come from very different types of environments. And these environments are socially constructed by outside, by the government, by corporations, by whatever. So we live in these socially constructed environments. And some environments will allow us to flourish and live healthy and productive lives. And some of these environments that are socially engineered creates a group of people who are you know seen as like the untouchables the underbelly of society that we refuse to acknowledge as truly human and who we refuse to acknowledge like our role in creating these people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i saw it like the bigger theme of just like you can take two people who grew up in very different environments initially If you were to switch them and give the people who initially lived in like these like very dire conditions, if you gave them the same nurturing, if you watered them, if you allowed them to grow, you know, they could become Adelaide. But you could take that same person with all that potential and put them in this horrible environment and they can become red. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of and maybe it's because that's like a theme of my life, like opportunity. But that's what I kind of got from that. Like environments, they create who we are and we could just as easily be somebody else if it were not for the grace of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Just that chance. And I think, um, yeah, you know, essentially, um, uh, yeah, I conclude that, you know, it has to do with things like that. Privilege maybe even class type mm-hmm. privilege. Um, and I think one of the profound things that stood out to me in the movie was when, when, when red came up or what have you. And, you know, was just talking about how like, you know, they were living down underneath wherever mm-hmm. and that they couldn't, they, they couldn't, they didn't have choices, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had to marry this person. I had to have this child, I had to do this. And while you up here, you able to choose all of these things, right? Just the privilege of choice of being in spaces and environment of able to like just do that. And I think that's something we kind of take for granted mm-hmm. sometimes and being in privileged spaces and, mm-hmm. and those that underclass, if you will, like sometimes you just don't have options. Like this is what you have and this is what you have to deal with um, and living, uh, you know, and then also the, even just like the subliminals of looking up the meaning of rabbits and how to eat rabbits because rabbits don't give you any kind of like nutritional value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you talk about places like disadvantaged communities that have like these food deserts and, and, the, and the lack of nutrition with the food choices they have, but this is all they have in their community, right? They don't have anything else to eat. Um, and it's just like, it was just so it was deep on a lot of levels, but that was one of the things that stuck out, stood out to me uh, for sure. And then even like, you know, of course it's like the sociological lens of the red and, and then wearing like the red jumpsuits, um, which may be reminiscent to like prison and stuff like that, but also kind of like, I'm thinking of like, you know, Karl Marx and like communism, right? And, mm-hmm. and then the proletariat, this kind of like violent revolution to overthrow the privileged folk or, or um, the bourgeoisie, if you will, right? And, mm-hmm. and come up, um, a lot of symbolism there I was like this is uh yeah okay I see you Jordan <laughs> yeah yeah I see you Jordan um and yeah I, I was really trying to like figure out um kind of along like were you saying like the significance of them trading places but I think you did a good job of explaining because that makes a lot of sense of like just having the opportunity when when she did switch she was able to you know become you know one of them of the privileged folk of the 
untethered, right? Or the mm-hmm. tethered, which mm-hmm. one, you know, mm-hmm. um, just by having that opportunity speaks a lot too. Yeah, yeah. And but and then so and it's also interesting too how she did come up, but then yes, she forgot about her folks where she was originally from. Right? She could have used that as an opportunity to help bring more of them up, but it was yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm doing me. I'm good, you know. And she knew they were. She knew they were coming. She felt it because she, you know, she's from there, so she had that sense. And she got there, and you know, didn't want to, but but and it, it started to dawn on me when she wouldn't like kill the kids or mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? What is this about? You know what I'm saying? Um, and the sun started to pick up. Like, oh, you control them, and then um, yeah, it took me. I, I think I got it real late towards the end. I started to get. I was like, oh, she might be the other one, um, especially the scene where she was trying to hit her in the basement she couldn't yeah because other girls seem like she's predicting i'm like oh this might be the other one uh because she just knows every move she can't even touch her you know and so that means she knows what's coming so she must you know they must have been the switch when they were younger yeah Um, yeah i think what did it for me and what really freaked me out was when adelaide you know killed red and then she let out this scream yeah that sound just like her and i'm like wait did she just turn into her and so it, I'm not going to say it dawned on me that that was her, but it was just kind of like, I was like, wait, did she just like transfer into her body or something? Like I picked yeah. up on something and then they mm-hmm. finally like laid it out for us. But I was just like, that was creepy. Yeah, it was, man. It was, that was, I mean, the movie was, yeah, it was creepy. Uh, it was good. Um, the meaning behind it was good and really just has you question a lot of things, right? To just the disconnect that we have and sometimes the ignorance we live in, the blissful ignorance we live in, of, you know, of our privilege and not understand like, yo. And, and that's why that line was like, yo, like, who are you? It's like, we're Americans. Like, yeah, that says a lot too. Like, they are Americans. And a lot of times in America, we rush to go fix other people's problems or talk about other people, other countries, you know, poverty and struggle and what they have. But there are people that are also identify as Americans, are Americans mm-hmm. and still live in just as dire situations. And we're not rushing to their assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of like that point you made. Don't forget where you came from and don't forget how you got there. <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah, us, man. Oh, but you know who hasn't forgotten where they came from? Who knows their roots, honey? Yo, I know you talk about. (laughs) This is Beyonce, Giselle, Nose Carter, honey. (laughs) Queen B. Yeah. Beyonce is making a fan out of everybody. Like, you know, for the longest, people have not wanted to, or, you know, her beehive. And her mm-hmm. stands, of course, you know, have always given her props. But I just I have always noticed there have been like skeptics and doubters. And like, I don't know, when you see her in her element, I don't think anybody can deny how good she is. Just like that man, Beyonce is a bad, bad woman, man. That's all I can say. Every time, you know, I've recently you know, her. I, I've always been a, like a fan of Beyonce, mm-hmm. you know, um, but really her Lemonade album. I was like, whoa, OK, I like this. Then that was the first time I went to her concert and I was like, whoa, like she is like unreal. And then you know, at next album with Jay-Z, then, of course, I went to that concert. And I might be probably going to every concert after that. <laughs> <laughs> 
because she is just that bad of a woman, yo. She is just like all over from head to toe. And then also just the, the content uh-huh. also is just like what really, you know, from, you know, who I am just really dra- draws me to her even more um, on top of what her music, her musical talent. Yeah. Right? So, OK, so you might be like me. So I have been to four Beyonce concerts over the last 12 years. And although I watched Homecoming last night, I also like watched it when they got streamed probably illegally um mm-hmm. year <laughs> after like Coachella so like I watched it but it was it was cool to see you know to get like the behind the scenes moments uh during the during the documentary but uh, my first Beyonce concert was the Beyonce experience back in like 2007 and it, after that, I was just like, yes, Beyonce. Then I went to the Mrs. Carter and I went to both on the run tours and it, they were so they were different. They were different vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I had said, like, I wasn't sure I had been to so many Beyonce concerts. And, you know, if you've seen Beyonce, like it is great to see her. But like. I, I don't know. Like, I was just like, OK, maybe I don't need to go to any more just like strictly Beyonce concerts because I, I've experienced it. Homecoming was something completely different. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like uh, it, it wasn't even a reinvention. It was just I her show, the set, everything about it was it had the same energy. It had the same like showmanship as the other concerts, but just like the, the content, the, you know, the lineup, it was, it was really good and it was different. And so that's why, you know, I appreciated it and have been able to watch it twice now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw clips and stuff from the first time around and some of the performances, but yeah, just watching homecoming. I mean, I was just like in awe, you know what I'm saying? And I just felt so good watching it. I mean, one, of course, I went to HBCU. So just the the vibes and, and the experience she just brought to everyone, like that whole HBCU experience that everybody got to like live in an experience, uh, I thought was awesome. And of course, me feel like I'm reliving my HBCU days mm-hmm. just with the band and then the stepping and like the probate type stuff yeah. and the dancers and the batons. Like, I was like, yo, this is like, she got it to a T of like, what? what that HBCU culture is like and just bringing it to everybody was just like so, so dope. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I mean, just made me get even feel even more about Beyonce. I'm just like, you know, she can take all my money, you know? I was like, yeah. Yeah. So Chris, next, next concert, you know, we're going to have to get as close as we can. Cause every concert we get closer and closer. But I'm like, I, this is one person I do not mind paying a lot of money for. Cause you, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to get a really good experience. Yeah. Um, so I would just say in general, uh, how did you feel? So like, I I won't say I saw this a lot, but I did see one or two people, you know, kind of mention like the idea of Beyonce potentially like appropriating like HBCU culture because, you know, she didn't go to college or, um, mm-hmm. people. So like in Greek life, so she used like Greek letters to make homecoming look cool, but like, mm-hmm. it does not like the actually accurate like if you actually see what those letters would look like if you really yeah it's it's weird so like the greek yeah. alphabet she didn't use it correctly so i saw yeah. like little critiques about that and stuff like that um mm-hmm. th- what do you feel about that idea um, you know, I, I from watching Homecoming and just seeing what the trend Beyonce and Jay Z both been on, it's like I don't, I wouldn't, I don't, I definitely wouldn't say they're appropriate. I think she was praising it, you know, and and like who else would put it on such a stage like that to get 
young black kids or even people just wanting to like go to an HBCU, right? It was promoting it. It was, I feel like it was nothing but positive positivity that she spewed through it and getting people from HBCUs and representation. You know, that's another thing. I feel like even if she didn't really wasn't detailed enough or detail-oriented or cared. She just got whoever just to mock it. But she actually got people from that environment to to represent. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, the Greek-like stuff, you know, I'm not part of any Greek organization, so I wasn't probably as sensitive to what was going on with the letters and stuff. But I can see how, like, yeah, that's going to, like, you know, probably, you know, being having tons of friends and everybody who are Greeks who that may rub the wrong way. Um, but overall, the overall thing, I wouldn't use that to damper her overall message or try to, like, yeah. be like, yeah, she was... But taking shots. For me, it was just kind of like, you know, she, you know, this is for a, you know, broader general audience. If mm-hmm. you were to use the correct letter, like nobody would even know what the heck it is. Like it, it looks yeah. so different. Um, but I, you know, I appreciate it. Like she mentioned in the documentary, like she grew up like going to Battle of the Bands because, you know, Mm -hmm. she used to live so close to HBCUs. And I think Destiny's Child used to practice at Texas Mm A&M. And, you know, it was funny because, you know, looking at that, it's like, I don't know that looking at homecoming, I did not go to an HBCU, but that takes me back to a very specific type of experience from my childhood, like Mm -hmm. growing up in the South black band culture whether you're in yeah. college or high like high schools in my hometown had battle of the bands mm. and it, it was my brother and sister like I'm I'm like six years younger than my brother four years younger than my sister so I was really young but when they were in high school they you know played in the band they traveled on the road uh you know they had the dancing girls so it's just kind of like that did not take me back to like a college experience but like that was very much what my childhood was like, there was nothing like going to like a football game on a Friday night and like you sitting by the band and getting hype in the stands. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was, I I don't know. So it just made me like kind of think about how like HBCU culture and black Southern culture overlap so much. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was just like, cause I don't know. It, yeah. Yeah, I love. I mean, most HBCUs are in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, majority of them are, and that makes sense from historical reasons. So, so of course, it's going to be that influence and that overlap because I mean, essentially, HBCU HBCU culture is the Southern culture, yeah. Southern Black culture. Yeah. Uh, so I just appreciate it. I appreciate it all. Um, I was just happy that she did it. Um, you know, she had, and even seeing Blue, mm-hmm. you know, there behind the scenes witnessing this and and being being you know seeing her mom put on a show like this and and what it meant you know uh, using the stage to be the first black woman never to headline Coachella but also do an extremely black and, um, uh, set yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm black y'all like no like, I just I cannot be mad at it man and this is the thing I was telling Chris last night as I after we finished it and I'm like this is what you know our parents our grandparents generation must have felt like this kind of emotion when you have people like James Brown and stuff being like I'm black and I'm proud and 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 Nina Simone's and people that were just like putting out this music that was like for us, you know what I'm saying, and really uplifting and empowering us and just hearing it and seeing them on these big stages like being just completely for your people, it just gives you this like immense sense of pride and just like ah yes, this is how much they felt back in the day, you know, when they had them folks doing the same thing that Beyonce's doing. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I just like kind of took that in for a moment. I was like, yeah, I, I feel really good right now. Like, you know, just watching her do this. And I'm like, if I had a daughter or whatever, a child, like I can actually show them this and be like, yo, you can be yourself. You can be black and you can be this great, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One interesting thing to note for those of you who don't know. Uh, so we see like all of the behind the scenes leading up to that 2018 performance. And, you know, she put in so much work. At the same time, she was also establishing a homecoming HBCU scholarship. She actually established Mm -hmm. that in April 2017 to support students who go to HBCUs. And she actually expanded it this year. And I'm, you know, pretty sure she's probably gonna work to expand it till, you know, she's touching lives at like every single HBCU. Uh, but you know, it is not just a performance, it's not just like I'm gonna take some of your HBCU culture. I didn't go to one. I'm not going to just, you know, use this culture to perform, but I'm also going to support the very same institutions that inspired mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Invest right back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I can't, I can't be mad at them, man. They still, you know, <laughs> ain't that many people I'm saying is perfect, but Beyonce's up there pretty close, man. Yeah. I do also want to shout out and I mean, you know, I would do this, but you know, last week on our episode, uh, we kind of talked about like whether black Greeks, uh, are still relevant today in terms of like moving or uplifting the black community. And, you know, given that Beyonce's, you know, concert, uh, focus on like HBCU culture, I did want to shout out the ladies of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority and <laughs> for their HBCU for Life initiative. Uh, people might not know, and it's because like if you're not involved in Greek life, you might not actually know what the organizations are doing, but they are out here working. And for Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, one of our targets is to promote sustainability of HBCUs by not only encouraging students to attend HBCU programs, because we have like this college admissions process you know, program where we help students Mm -hmm. like research colleges and there's like a effort, a targeted effort to get students to apply to research and attend HBCUs. But we are also creating an endowed scholarship at every single HBCU. Um, Mm. This fall, we raised $1 million. So we had like a HBCU impact day. And on that day alone, we raised $1.1 million. And during Black History Month, we actually created or established the, you know, endowed scholarship at 31 HBCUs. And like over the next four years, you know, we hope to raise $10 million and, you know, impact every single HBCU. So that endowed scholarship started with $50,000. And of course, we want to do more, but I just wanted to talk about that because it was a question last week, you know, you know, what's going on? Like, are they as relevant today? Um, but yeah, we out here. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all making moves, man. That's, and black, I mean, black Greek letter organizations have always been a staple in the black communities from the beginning up until now. So, um, yeah, it's glad that, you know, I know, of course, I'm sure that, you know, Daphne's a part of it. You all are listeners and, and, and tons of other friends and everybody I know is a part of it. are still very active, uh, uh-huh. and, and doing what they have to do for our people. So it's always a good thing to see. And yeah, y'all, y'all are still very relevant. We still need y'all. <laughs> One last thing, and you might have heard about this, and we might need to pull out the Oh Lord News uh, button mm-hmm. for this. Did you see that story about uh, white gentrifiers using Howard's campus as a dog park? 
Oh, uh, you know, I think I've seen a quick headline on that, but I don't think I read it. Okay, so, you know, you know, the area in which like these uh, Howard is embedded is, you know, starting to gentrify and, you know, become more popular. And, you know, Howard students were beginning to complain because people are using it as like, their, you know, workout plays, like running through the campus, like the students were like, we don't even walk on the grass. Like, why, why are you walking on the grass? And mm-hmm. like, uh, people were using it like as a dog park to like let their dogs run around and, you know, do their business and stuff like that. So they were starting to complain. So the news decided to like interview people on both sides of the issue. And they interviewed uh, this white man who, you know, lives in the area. And he was like, you know, yeah, your college is right in the heart of like a popular DC area. Um, you know, if you have a problem with this, then, you know, maybe you should move your campus. What? <laughs> Yo, come on, man. The nerve or the audacity. Just move your campus so I can walk my dog in this part. Nah, you you move your damn dog, man. Get out of here. Like we have been here since 1867. We are not moving. Uh, but the other thing is, I'm, you know, I'm not going to put it out here, but like, I just want y'all to Google the, you know, DC resident suggests Howard move, get his name. And then I, just, I want y'all to Google his name and look at his Instagram. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, <laughs> tell me something I probably wouldn't be surprised about seeing somebody making comments like that. Uh, well, you know what? It's not even like any type of racial stuff. Lord, he is out here advertising. Like you, oh. you, just, you, you just gotta see it. You gotta see it. For <laughs> okay, I'm gonna that. check that out. That's all. Uh oh, yeah, I'll check that out there. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and before we leave the topic of Beyonce, too, I did see, I don't know how true it is, but I think it was like Genius. It was like a new album, mm-hmm. um, like track listing that came up, something called like B7. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was like a few tracks on there, but everybody's talking about this one track called Nefertiti that had it was a f- feature with Rihanna on it, uh-huh. um, which everybody's like, uh-oh, Beyonce and Rihanna getting together and a track called Nefertiti. Uh-huh. That, might be the, that might be the banger of the summer. We'll see. It might be. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I guess, you know, moving forward, <laughs> talking about, you know, of course, we go from pro-black Beyonce to somebody whose pro-blackness is in a little bit of question. Oh, okay. um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my guy, Tiger Woods. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he recently won his 15th major. I think it's been his first major in about 11 years mm-hmm. um, that he's won. And so there was a lot of, uh, you know, a celebration because of his victory and a lot of people have been giving feedback and most of it has just been pretty much a lot of praise from everyone in all parties. I also tuned in briefly. I didn't watch the final. I didn't watch it on Sunday, but I watched, I think, a little bit of it on Saturday because, you know, again, there was a lot of rumblings. Oh, Tigers, like one shot off the lead. So I was watching a couple of the holes just to see. Um, um, but yeah, so, you know, there's been a lot of celebration of it. But then, you know, and there's people like myself who have been, I would say, a little uh, hesitant mm-hmm. to give Tiger all this kind of praise. Um, and mainly because and, and this, I, I'm, I think I, I can say I'm, I'm in one of two areas. One is like Tiger has made it clear that he is not 
for like the black community per se. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, he tried to, he tries to go on for, I say that he's not black. Right. I'm like, I forgot what oh, name oh, he called Blasian or something like Blasian or something, you know, creating this term or maybe it is created. I don't know, but you know, going on his way to say he's not a black male, even though, you know, his blackness is what has you know, help him, now, of course, him winning and stuff, but because he's black, has actually got more viewers, you know, into the sport of, of they call it the tiger effect mm-hmm. in golf. Um, and so on one end, I'm like, yeah, I don't know how hype I can be for someone who really doesn't say he's for the people. But then on my on the other end with me, I'm like, should it even matter? Like, I'm like, yo, he confused because you're black, Tiger. I don't care what you say. You're a black man in this sport. And so you can say you're not black all you want. But can we still as a community be like, you know what? This black man is doing it. Whether he want to believe he black or not, he's still out here winning and breaking all these records and and might be the greatest ever. And he will be a black man, whatever he however he wants to think of it. Um, So I'm kind of like in this weird place of like, should I? still support it or should I be like, you know, bump what you say, Tiger, you still black and you still winning. So I'm gonna give you kudos anyway. Okay. So this is how I see it. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge him as a person of color because it's just kind of like, okay, you know, support the person of color because I think that's how he sees himself. Um, I do know when he had the controversy with the DUI thing, that police report said black yeah, as they as they always do. You know what I'm saying? He got that wake up call that day. Uh, but at the you know end of the day, it's just kind of like I'm at the point where I'm not trying to claim nobody that don't want to claim me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So I will acknowledge him as like a person of color, and I you know think he does see himself that way. And you know to give Tiger some kudos because I, I definitely wasn't going to but I actually recently read that he has some type of like nonprofit or foundation and the, the people were saying like when they went to the foundation website like everybody that he's helping is like a person of color okay. um, and I was just like hmm, I didn't look at it myself but the people who saw it you know multiple people said that you know it was true and they saw he was helping all of these people of color and what actually one of our recent uh, our mutual friends recently shared a video of when Tiger was like a teen. That's what I was about to mention too. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and, you know, they're asking him like why he wants to, you know, win the Masters, why it would be important. And he acknowledges himself as like a black person. Yes. <laughs> and that's what would perplex me. He said, yeah, he's like, you know, I want to do it because, you know, and they were like, why? He's like, because, you know, no, they, they don't see people like me, like other black people like me. He was very specific. He was very direct, calm about it. Like, it was like, okay, he's doing this. At least then it's very clear, like his blackness played a role as far as his motivation, as far as where he want, wanted to be. And so it was kind of strange that as he got higher up, that it kind of disappeared a little bit. Yeah. And I think a part of it, and this is, you know, again, sometimes it's tough. And I feel like as black people, we all know, like when you get into certain spaces, and especially when you talk about them country club, mm-hmm. golf, white folk, mm-hmm. like, come on, you the only brother and going to be the only brother in those places for like forever. Um, and so I feel like, you know, as he was growing older and, you know, getting into an adult, he probably had to switch some of his ways um, and how he thought about himself. And I, I just feel like that played a, a big role. And it. it's different than being like in basketball or football, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but he, Tiger literally like the only one in, the, in those spaces. So, you know, it's probably harder to pull that. Um, that black card or be black, you know, if you wanted to. And so I can see why he probably ventured away from that identity from when he was a teenager till now. But but there's also a point of like you you the best 
You know what I mean? And nobody's stopping you. And there's a point where you could be yourself, like Beyonce and Jay-Z do. But Yeah. yeah but, and at this point, he may have lost himself. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It may, you know, it may have been lost. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. So, like, I don't even know if he's around a lot of black people. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's what I figured. So, it's just, you know, I would... I don't know if he ever acknowledges like I, you know, had this accomplishment as a, you know, black man, because you can be black. And so acknowledging yourself as a black man doesn't mean you're negating like other things that you are. But until he does that, I'm be like, congrats to that person of color. Shout out to you. I can see that. I'm still trying to figure out my way. But I'm like, man, you black, man. I mean, I know you mix with them, but you a black man and you win in these things as a black man. And this is the tiger effect because you're a black man. And you look black. Reason pe- you look yes, black. You look black. That's that's also a big point, too. And so that's why we all tuning in. You know, if he was just another white man, he could be winning as much of the majors he wants. I still wouldn't be tuning in, to be honest. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um and so even even like all the po- Joe Budden, all these podcasts, all the uh, Breakfast Club, everybody was like they tuned in because Tiger looked like he was about to win. And I'm sure their ratings were super high because Tiger was doing good. Um, and, you know, people were like, I can't even tell you who else played golf. I don't need nobody else in golf probably besides like Phil <laughs> uh, <laughs> whoever. Um, so, yeah, Tiger effect uh, to be determined. To be um, determined. All right. Um, this is a good discussion. Anything else? Uh Newsworthy, discussion worthy? Uh, no, you know, little stories here and there, but you know, maybe we can save that for some old Lord news. Okay, old Lord news. Um, so yeah, it was good, good, fun getting some things off my chest. Definitely wanted to discuss us and Game of Thrones, so I'm glad. Mm-hmm. Oh, we finally got the opportunity to do that. Um, uh, go ahead. I was about to say, actually, I do want to say, I knew Beyonce was the greatest with my nieces who had been like face glued to their tablets for hours all day. I turned it on to watch it myself. I'm like, okay, they in those tablets, you know, let me watch my show. Uh-huh. Drop them immediately. <laughs> Never went back to them the entire time Homecoming was on. That's wild. That's wild. When you can get kids to drop their electronic devices, you know you're the greatest. So I just want to say yeah. shout out to B for that. <laughs> I saw somebody else um, on a story had like a two year old and then she was watching, she like panned the, her phone to like homecoming and panned it to her two year old. Two year old just sitting down, just glued to the TV. <laughs> she was like, she had captured like, yo, he's been like this for 30 minutes, like just glued. I'm like, yo, Beyonce really got that effect, yo. <laughs> All the way down to the children. You can't even knock it. It's funny. Okay. Well, parents, that's the tip. You need a little quiet time. Turn on Beyonce. Yeah, that's if your street ain't working. Go ahead. <laughs> Throw that homecoming on real quick. Get yourself by yourself a whole... How long was it? Like two hours? Yeah, it was sure. over two hours. Like two hours and 15, <laughs> 17 minutes. Oh my God. By yourself two hours, the homecoming on. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, all right, good. Good talking. All right, well, um, as always, thank you all for checking us out and listening to us. Um, if if you haven't yet, follow us on social media at BHD Podcast. We're on Twitter Instagram and Facebook. Uh, go to our website, www.blackandhollydangerous.com. Keep up with all our latest content and the like. Um, 
Also share us on iTunes. Um, well, before you share us on iTunes, review and rate us on iTunes. Um, give us that five star rating. Drop a nice comment. Um, that always helps us out. So if you enjoy these episodes, just do that for us. It really helps us out a lot. And then go ahead and share us uh, with your friends, share us with your family, share us with your enemies. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.